Hey everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. As we get into 2024, we're going to take a look at some of the key states around the country. We'll check in on places like Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, all the, the battlegrounds you know are so important. And we'll look at states we think are interesting. You've heard us talk about how demographic shifts have changed the landscape, and that it's and that's really particularly true in the West. Uh, beyond the battlegrounds of Colorado and Nevada, you know, how things changed in places like Oregon, even California, but specifically Arizona and uh, uh, the entire West really has is, is just uh, been phenomenal change. Our guest today, my friend, Mark Z. Barabek, one of the greats. I mean, just I've always thought uh, one of the sharpest political minds who covers this stuff. And knows it in a way that I think, you know, offers a unique insight, sees things that a lot of other people don't. Anyway, he just finished a really cool series in the L.A. Times looking at how things have changed in the Western states. And I thought it would be a great place to start our look at 2024. So, Mark, welcome. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for the super kind uh, introduction. Alex, where do you want to get started, buddy? Man, it is so nice to not have to talk about, like, whatever meaningless poll came out this week and actually look at look at some numbers and, and some underlying things about how things are changing. Mark, we are so glad you're here so we don't have to talk about whatever polling drivel is out this week, you know, almost less than a year out now. Yeah, no, you're singing my song. <laughs> so you've got you got the series uh, at the New West at, at the LA Times, which we'll, we'll link to and, and, and definitely want to get into. You look at six states, right? You got Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico, Nevada, California, and, and I know Joe mentioned at the top, Arizona. Yeah. I want to get to the two kind of swingy battleground states first, yeah. specifically talk about Arizona and, and where you see it now, how, how it's shifted. It, where, how has it gotten to where it is and where do you see it going? Well, you know, I'll, I'll punt to the extent, uh, you know, I'm not going to say who's going to win because who knows. I, I think it's fair to say Arizona is going to be super competitive. And, you know, that in its in and of itself is a change. Mm -hmm. I mean, when Joe Biden carried the state, he became the, uh, only the second Democrat since Harry Truman to carry Arizona. So the fact that it's in play at all is, is, is a really significant addition to the map. And I think there's a certain commonality across the West, you know, in all these states that you mentioned, increased uh, Latino voting population, increased Latino engagement, um, a trending of the suburbs away from Republicans. I mean, that started before Donald Trump, who was just like, you know, lighter fluid to, to that, that trend. You have a Republican Party that's gotten really, really extreme, very, very Trumpy. So Put all those ingredients together in Arizona with the added fact that you had Senior McCain, widow of the late senator, come out and endorse Joe Biden in, in the final weeks of, of the 2020 campaign. Not just endorse him, but, but, but cut an ad. And folks I talked to said that was really significant. It was almost a permission slip for Republicans who might have had concerns about Trump to say, hey, it's okay to be a conservative and 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 vote for Joe Biden. I don't want to overstate, you know, when you have a state, you know, Biden won by 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 less than 50,000 votes. So you could point to any number of factors to say that's why Biden won, but you put all those ingredients together and that's what's turned Arizona from just, you know, as 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 red as a brick to uh, uh the battleground it is today. And it, but you know, when you look at it, though, so it you know, it's really kind of interesting because you know, the Arizona GOP is can, you know, continues to nominate the most right-wing people you know, out, that they, they can find. Uh, they're censoring people like Rusty Bowers for, you know, telling the truth and the big lie. So, 
you know, it seems to me that there's there's still a clear path for Biden to, you know, and, and Democrats to to eke out that it's going to be a tight race, but th- things have substantially changed there, and they they still are going down that that path. Do you see? I mean, do you agree with that, or do? You, and also, I mean, you know, um, I think you know McCain may be further in the. You know, in the in people's recesses and memories now, you know, will something like that would it still have the same power this time around? In in your view, I, I think you know it's funny. The formulation that I kept hearing from folks over and over again is that you know really the only person who who, who could uh, uh, beat Trump is is Biden, vice versa. In other words, I, I think it could be a lot tougher if Republicans nominate. And I I may be the only person in America who's not one hundred percent convinced that. that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. I think it's more likely than not, but I'm not sold. In fact, when everyone in politics is saying this is going to happen, that's when I start thinking, okay, hold up here. So um, that said, I I think that I I still think, you know, Arizona was never a particularly good state for for Trump. When he won against Hillary Clinton, he got less than 50 percent there. It's not a great state for him. It's just I, I think I think Biden is competitive and, and, and will be competitive. And like I said, I think it's going to be really, really close again. You know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, not being sure he's going to be the nominee. It's, the more I talk to people like who I respect, I mean, re- reporters who've actually been covering this a long, long time and understand how crazy a presidential race can be and how fast it can change. People like Ron Brownstein, yourself, uh, John Harwood, they all and agree with me. I, I don't think uh, Trump's not going to have an easy, as easy a run at this, uh, getting the nomination as people think. I think there, there can be surprises in, uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire, you, you know, that could, that could launch somebody in, at least into a real challenge of them. They, like, like, like Hart did to Mondale or, uh, you know, but Mondale's, Mondale go. still got the nomination and, and Trump, and I agree with you, Trump probably still will too. But that that fight within the party actually, you know, helped add to what probably would have been a Reagan win anyway in that in that election. But I mean, made it a 49 state wipeout because of that. I do want to go to Nevada. Well, well, wait, Joe, Joe, this before we go to Nevada, I want we all know your take as why Trump is weaker than we thought. Mark, I know we're getting a little off the the new West, but I think we yeah. would love to hear you unpack your thoughts from maybe a little different angle than Joe's about why you think Trump doesn't necessarily have this thing all sewn up. Support for that trippy show comes from Odoo. What is Odoo? Well, Odoo is the only software your business will ever need. Featuring a suite of integrated business applications, Odoo connects your business operations together so you get more done in less time. Odoo has apps for everything. CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, marketing, manufacturing, you name it. Odoo's got it. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash trippy. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash trippy. Well, you know, it's funny. Joe brought up Iowa, and I'll come back to that in a second. You know, when I talk to folks, you know, I'll sit down with a consultant and, and they'll give me the scenario for why they're going to win and this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Then I say, okay, so give me, give me the plausible scenario for, for if that doesn't happen. I say, not the alien abduction, you know, not that Martians are going to come down and kidnap Donald Trump or he'll, you know, Martians will convict him in Martian court. Give me a plausible scenario. And I go back to, as Joe did, you know, 1984, Walter Mondale, prohibitive favorite, gets like 49% of the vote in Iowa. Gary Hart gets 17%. Who won? Well, Gary Hart, of course, with 17. Why? Because he beat expectations. So what 
That's a non-alien abduction scenario. Let's say Nikki Haley surprises and comes really close or closer than people quote, quote, expect in Iowa. All of a sudden, she gets a ton of momentum behind her. It goes to New Hampshire. Then it goes on to South Carolina. So again, I'm not predicting this is going to happen, but I'm saying what is a reasonable, plausible scenario such that Donald Trump is not, not the nominee? And I think it would begin with an unexpectedly strong showing by either more likely Nikki Haley, but even, even Ron DeSantis by someone. Yep. That's a, we have the same. But again, it's because you've seen that movie. <laughs> you, you know, I, exactly. You, well, right. that's part of the interesting thing is so many people who are covering it now. I mean, it's not a hit on them. It's just they, they didn't they haven't lived through these like big, big swings where somebody who's, you know, just sort of, a, you know, basically a moderate surprise. I mean, it was, a, you know, 17 was right. not like, wow, you know, but it turned into yeah. that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I keep looking at Trump's numbers in places like that. He's at 42 in Iowa. And I think like same thing, 41 in New Hampshire. I mean, those are not, you know, having run Iowa for Fritz back then, you know, we were always floating around 50, 51, 48, somewhere up there. And, you know, we held it 49, but it didn't matter. By the time we got to a caucus night, everybody knew we were going to be it. The only question was, who's the other guy? And right. so we'll see. I do want to get to Nevada. I mean, it seems to me that these two in particular, along with New Mexico, maybe, well, maybe the whole thing, Oregon, have made it plausible for Dems if we can hold the blue wall across Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, if we can continue to do that in 2004. It's these these two in particular, Arizona and Nevada, are pretty critical to to being able to to get to an electoral college uh, uh, path for for Biden. Obviously, the fact that uh, Oregon's turned bluer and New Mexico, they already get us close, but we got definitely have to be paying attention to Arizona and Nevada. So, uh, what the the question I've got because your, your piece talks a lot about how um, it was you know unions and a and a genius uh, read machine, uh, the, machine the, yeah. the, that the senator uh, uh, built really, you know, changed and made the difference there. And, you know, he's now passed. Um, there's all kinds of qualms within, the, I think, on the Democratic side about the party structure now. Do you think it holds or is it has it has where, where do you see that shift going? Is it still headed in the right direction or do Democrats have work to do? And obviously it's going to be another closed state. Yeah, Dem Democrats obviously have work to do. I mean, you know, Nevada is interesting because it has a very, very high percentage of non-college graduates, which, as I'm sure your sophisticated audience knows, have been trending towards Republicans. So Democrats have work to do there. You know, the big question or a question I heard a lot is, you know, can the Reed machine keep up and running without Harry Reid? Um, and, you know, I talked to several folks along those lines and people, people who had great regard and great respect for Harry Reid said, look, Harry Reid might have been a brilliant tactician, but he was mindful of his mortality, knew he wasn't going to live forever. So built in the machine such that it would be in a position to sustain itself when he was no longer there. Obviously, the fact that you don't have a Senate majority leader, you know, <laughs> making rain, pulling down tens of millions of dollars is an impediment. You know, if we're going to use the machine metaphor, right, it, it, it helped put a lot of gas into that machine. But they had a test run in, in 2022. They reelected Cortez Masto as a senator. There's a lot of really, really smart people. I've got a name check, Rebecca Lamb, who I'm sure you know, who's you know uh, really at the top of a list of really, really brilliant political operatives. She's still there. There are others. And, and the Culinary Union, which has worked 
hand in glove. I mean, it, it should be said they are they are uh, independent of the Democratic Party. Don't always see eye to eye with the Democratic Party, but still, they're an indispensable start of that part of that turnout machine. And, and so they still have the culinary union here. They still have a lot of uh, really good, smart operatives. But Nevada being Nevada and having that demographic makeup, it's it's going to be close. I mean, Democrat, every election except for the one Obama won by uh, a landslide has been within just a few percentage points. So I think Nevada is going to be, again, really, really close. But I would give the advantage to Democrats just because they've run this drill. And, and the Republican Party in Nevada is, frankly, just a, an utter and complete train wreck. Well, the one like not totally extreme right wing candidate the GOP nominated won, right? Lombardo, who of right. compared yes. to the AG and the Secretary of State and the Senate candidates, he was like fairly normal. But I mean, when you put somebody in a room with Adam Lashaw, that's what's gonna happen. We had we had John Ralston on, I think, right before the election, and and he he pointed out some of the similar things. My question is is kind of with both of these states, if if you were kind of trending them in one direction demographically, particularly with with things like growing Latino voters, youth voters, are both of them trending bluer just kind of on the face of of the numbers of who who would go vote in any given year? Well, yes, but I think a lot's dependent on what happens with Latino voters. I mean, I'm not, I'm not altogether convinced that Democrats are suffering a huge, huge problem. They're going to lose the Latino vote. I mean, I need to see more than the, the result of one election. There was a lot of very squirrely stuff about 2020. There was the pandemic, and uh, practice and history has shown that Latino voters need to be engaged, that, that you know, personal contact is super important. And interestingly, you have that in Nevada. You know, Culinary did do... They were on the doors in Nevada. They were on the doors in Arizona. And I don't think it's an accident. Those are two states that Democrats carry barely. So, you know, tell me what happens with the Latino vote. Do Democrats continue winning north of, of 60, 65, 70 percent? You know, I think that is really going to tell us which direction Arizona and Nevada and even, even a state like Texas, which we haven't gotten into and which interesting hasn't flipped. But I think the Latino vote, because it's growing and because it's becoming such an important and significant part of the electorate, I think... What happens with the Latino vote in the next few cycles will be really, really determinative, not just in those states, but as I mentioned, Texas, too. Oh, you said Texas. Yeah. Joe, I know you had a question yeah, that's about what Texas. I, I, I've been particularly, you know, after reading what you wrote about New Mexico, I mean, all these states, I was going to ask you, are you going to do a piece on Texas? Uh, is that huh. something? And, and two. Short answer is yes, but go on. No, but but yeah, I mean, do you have some insight? Why is this? You know, it just seems like Texas is somehow different, but the same. Yes. I mean, what I'm trying to say is, it, yeah, it, it's I know exactly this, what you're saying. Why is it that we, you know, uh, uh, you've seen, you know, with some of this is obviously migration out of California, other things that are, are contributing to this, and Latino vote growing larger. A lot of those same factors have occurred in Texas. I mean, you know, maybe yeah, not the migration exactly. piece enough, but. What's the what's different? What is it in your view, or or is it just we're we're still you know six years behind there or something? I mean, is no, it a, is it a no. time thing? It's it's funny you ask because I, I I've been reporting out a Texas piece because I, I'm intrigued 
as you are. I mean, as I said, a lot of commonality in terms of Latino vote, in terms of suburbs, in terms of a party that's gone super, super Trumpy and far right. So that's the question. Why hasn't Texas gone the direction of its neighbors? And I'm still kind of processing and thinking, but I, I've hit upon a few things that, that I think. You know, one is, is, is Latino vote. Latinos there, and I've got some really good and interesting polling data that compares Latinos in California versus Latinos in, in or they call them Hispanics in Texas. I mean, it's very interesting. Yeah. Latinos in California, Hispanics in New Mexico, Hispanics in Texas. They are Hispanics in Texas are ideologically more conservative than Latinos in California. That's one factor. I think another factor someone mentioned, a few people mentioned, is size. Size matters. Um, You go into a state like Arizona and you can spend a lot of money in the Phoenix market and cover really the biggest part of the electorate. Do the same in Las Vegas in, in Nevada with Las Vegas. Texas is 20 media markets. Yeah. Super expensive. So it's 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 a matter of scale. And then the other thing, and here's 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 your chicken egg thing. I, I talked to a lot of folks, some very frustrated Democrats who will say Democrats nationally really haven't invested that much in the state because they don't think it's winnable. And it hasn't been winnable because Democrats haven't invested in the state. So it's kind of a, a chicken egg thing. I mean, you know, Democrats, it's like, you know, they've been standing on on, on on the seashore, scanning, waiting for that ship to come in for like, what, 20 years now? We keep yeah. hearing, right? It's just, so it's interesting because I hear people who are saying, well, maybe by 2030 or so, but I think those three reasons explore Texas, but um, that piece is, uh, is, is coming up hopefully in a couple of weeks, so I'll sit down and write that one. Well, definitely looking forward to that one. Um, I do want, uh, you know, New Mexico also very, I mean, all these states are really interesting. I know, Joe, you worked in basically all of them too, but it, it, New Mexico was interesting because it wasn't that long ago that it felt like a, a true battleground. And mm-hmm. now it, it seems a lot safer uh, and on the, on the blue side of things. Yeah. But why, why is that? Well, it's interesting. People forget, maybe you didn't, maybe you haven't, but uh, New Mexico is actually closer than Florida in, in 2000. Um, I mean, it all turned on Florida, but, but New Mexico was the closer of the two states. And then again, very, very close in 2000. Since then, it's been lights out for uh, Republicans. New Mexico is interesting because it's an exception to the explosive population growth that we've seen across the Southwest. Its population has been pretty stagnant, but there's been a lot of churn beneath that surface. Um, a lot of movement from urban, uh, excuse me, from rural areas to cities. And an interesting thing about the West, you know, there's this mythology, this this image of, uh, you know, wide open spaces and big skies and all that is true. But actually, the West is the most urban area in America. In other words, more people in the West live in cities than any other place in the country, even more than the Northeast, which, which is sort of interesting. So you've seen the rise of cities, Albuquerque, Las Cruces, which used to be Republican and a competitive Cities that have become more democratic are now outvoting the rural areas. And it, there again, I talked earlier about a chicken egg thing. I mean, is it like people who gravitate towards cities tend to, be, tend to become Democrats or demo, people who live in cities become Democrats? So who, who knows? But the bottom line is, you know, Republicans really haven't helped themselves by becoming sort of the, the anti-urban party, if you will, going against, you know, cities and mayors and this, that, the other thing. That hasn't helped. You've seen some economic transformation. You've seen uh, a lot of Californians uh, move in. The late governor, in fact, I, I interviewed him for this, uh, uh, the piece on New Mexico, not long before he passed, the former governor, Bill Richardson, really instrumental in terms of uh, building up a big film industry in New Mexico, which drew a lot of Californians to it. And, and lastly, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, New Mexico has more elected Latino 
uh, or Hispanic lawmakers in any other state. And there's a quote from a, a former uh, Republican lawmaker who said, you know, as long as we keep putting up, you know, these Anglo millionaires who look nothing like the rest of the state, you know, people aren't going to give us the time of day. So it's all those things added together. You know, we're going to put links to to all these stories, uh, this whole series in the in the show notes. Uh, but one of the I think, you know, in the piece you did about, you know, that alluded to Colorado and how the blue, you know, how it, everything in the West, it's sort of the bigger story of how the West had moved. Um, can yeah. you talk about that and, and, and the impact of Colorado? Same thing, I think, as New Mexico in a lot of ways in terms of was a place that now looks like, again, pretty solidly moving in the right, you know, moving blue, I think. Or would you not yeah. agree with that? No, no, I, I do. It, it's funny. Just to take a step back, you didn't really ask about the origin of this series, but this it's funny. I was thinking before coming on the show, Joe, I think you and I met in 1988 when you were doing uh, Dick Gephardt's campaign, yeah, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, so a long time. So I've done, I've done a lot of presidential campaigns, and one of them was 2004 when I was covering George W. Bush in, in, in Oregon, and no one at the time thought, what the hell is Bush doing in Oregon? Is he crazy? In fact, Portland was one of the top advertising markets in the whole country. And then in 2005, I went to, to uh, Colorado and, and, and did a piece, and I can't remember the headline, but it was something like, you know, Democrats see new frontier in the West or something like that. And I talked to a bunch of Democrats who were very, very bullish. They had just won, I believe, one of the chambers of, of the House in Colorado. They'd like a senator, a bunch of House members. And, and, and Democrats, and, 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 and you and your listeners might recall that part of the reason Democrats put the convention in Colorado in 2008 was because they saw this mm -hmm. promise. So that was sort of the origin of this series. And what was interesting about, about Colorado and what I kind of used, I, I tried to make each, I didn't want each of these pieces to be identical. So I tried to hit on sort of different themes in each one. And the theme that sort of I focused on in, in Colorado was this extreme image that Republicans have gotten, even, even before Donald Trump. You know, it's become a very white, very Christian, very Southern-oriented party, Trump obviously acting as an accelerant. At a time that re Democrats were, were, were putting up a lot of politicians like uh, John Hickenlooper, like Jared Pol uh, Jared Polis, the current governor, folks who had a very centrist, moderate, uh, relatively moderate image. And, you know, someone, someone uh, I quoted in the story said, look, you know, Colorado is not Maryland, right? It's not anywhere. It's not somewhere where any Democrats going to win. So Democrats very tactically and strategically uh, uh, moved toward the center and sort of developed this reputation of, of, of moderation and sensibility at the time, like I said, the Republicans were going very, very far right. Yeah, it's it's worked there. And, but, you know, I think that's part of the whole equation in all these places still is that the, um, the likely, you know, one of the things we need is for the Republicans to keep doing what they're doing. I mean, to, to, to go to the extreme right, nominate extremist uh, uh, candidates. Uh, and I think we, as a Democrat, I can say this, I pretty much count on them to keep continue to do that in, in these places for a while uh, still. Well, and if I can take it to Oregon real quickly, I mean, you know, you'll remember Oregon had a very, very long tradition of moderate Republicanism, mm -hmm. right? Bob Hackwood, Mark Hatfield, you know, that changed and that changed. There, there was a very significant, you know, turning point election in 1990 where, uh, you know, the moderate uh, Republican lost the primary or I'm sorry, he ran, but but, but got, got competition and and. What followed from that was, was sort of this ideological shift in Oregon. And there again, that's another state where, where you know, Republicans are just seen as going way far off, off, off the edge. Yeah, no, we did. I got in some really knockdown, drag out fights in that state. Stuart Stevens, who now is with me in the Lincoln Project. But, man, we 
I, it was a r- ugly, ugly race in in uh, in Oregon. I mean, because it was so competitive, and Republicans had the edge at Hatfield, et cetera. Uh, but man, is it! I did uh, uh, Ron Wyden's uh, when Ron Wyden de- defeated Gordon Smith there in the uh, uh, and became in his Senate race. Uh, uh, I did that race, but I mean, it's it's nowhere near as competitive. I mean, it's now much bluer than. I mean, back then it was like it was it was. You know, you had Hatfield was the only Republican who had opposed Nixon, I think, on the yeah. Vietnam War. I mean, was a yep. hero among Democrats. I mean, among, you know, anti-war Democrats. Uh, right. uh, and it was sort of that it was almost the other way where, where you know, where the Demo- it was hard not to be seen as some sort of outside the norm if you ran against somebody like Mark Hatfield because he was just sort of sort of redeemed and revered. Uh, yeah. But that that's all gone now. I mean, it's pretty much, you know, uh, off the rails there. Yeah. The one thing you brought up, uh, you know, Gephardt in 88. And again, that's another experience, though. And we'll go back to the Trump thing for a minute. You know, Dick, Dick Gephardt was in last place. I mean, you know, Al Gore had decided to skip Iowa and wait for Dukakis down south you know, because we had Super Tuesday and he was going to wipe us all out down in Super Tuesday. But the thing he never, he, and the, again, nobody expected was this shock surprise that Dick Gephardt would come from last place with three weeks to go, surge and not take second, but win Iowa. Yeah. yeah. Which again, didn't mean he went anywhere. I mean, we, you know, we had a few weeks left of <laughs> being a candidacy, but it totally split enough votes in the South, Gephardt Gore, that um, that Mike Dukakis ended up becoming the nominee, despite the fact that the entire reason Super Tuesday was put in place yep. that year was to yep. stop a Northeastern liberal from becoming the nominee. I mean, it was just totally backfired. So yep. it, what I'm saying is it's that kind of thing, I think, that people don't, when you have, when, when sort of, the, it's what you said when you came on. When the whole rest of the political world has decided that something's already baked in the cake, it's going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. That's when the surprise in Iowa, somebody doing a, you know, coming in second or or, or being a surprise, really has uh, gets a lot of, of, of traction. And you saw that we saw it again um, with uh, when Obama defeated Clinton. I mean, before right. before Iowa happens. Uh, you know, he can't win. The country's not ready, whatever. Right. Right, He he goes by her in Iowa, man, you know, it lights out the rest of the way. So I still think uh, that you're on to something in terms of thinking that this, you you know, I think we both are and and others, like I said, others who've seen multiple presidential races, you know, where weird things happen in these early states. I don't think Trump's immune to that. Doesn't mean he, it doesn't mean he isn't. But I don't think he's immune to it, uh, and it, it's likely something, some some surprise, somebody is going to emerge and at least give him a little bit of a, a if not a big fight, a, at least a fight bigger than what what most of the, you know, the polls and and, uh, and you know and people on cable are talking about now. Yeah, no, I'm on the same page. You know, Mike Huckabee is another one. I mean, yeah. I was in Iowa that year, and. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, like he was he was trailing until a week out, and then all of a yeah. sudden, I mean, you know, it, you know, your friend Dave Nagel, um, longtime Iowa operative, yeah. t- to my mind, has has the single best strategy, if you will, for Iowa. It's organize, 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 get hot at the end. Yep, and th- that's it. That's it. And you know, uh, uh, it's funny because when I, I was going back to a, 
uh, just one of the greatest uh, like failures of, uh, you know, here I, I win Iowa with the Mondale and Gephardt, and then I, my worst finish is third place, and it's with Howard Dean. So it was that year. But uh, that year, I, I remember I would sneak out of headquarters and go to Huckabee rallies. I, would, I mean, literally that would do funny. that because there was just something I just was, it was clear he was catching on and I was trying to figure out like how, you know, how is he doing this? Cause yeah. he's going to surprise people. But I was, even I was surprised. I mean, as much as I sort of saw it and felt it. And, and like I said, I would sneak into these rallies and, and pray that you weren't there and didn't see me, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but um, no, that, that's what, there have been a couple of those on the, that's what I mean. It's not a, a, a it's Bush beating Reagan in uh in, in 80 in yes. Iowa. And then, of course, Reagan comes back, beats him in New Hampshire. So I, I just think there's a, you know, people who think this is all cooked and, and baked in the cake uh, may be surprised come caucus night. And and definitely, I think the New Hampshire primary, if, if the right person gets a little bit of boost out of Iowa, it could be a it could be a real fight there. Yeah, no, I'm same page. Okay, we've talked about the West. We think, you know, there's a, you know, that the, the trends are in a place where, like you said, in in Nevada, the Democrats have been through this drill before. They'll, you know, from my point, hopefully be able to do it again. But how do you see the, the, the assuming that Trump does have a little bit of a, you know, a, a fight coming out of Iowa, New Hampshire, but like Mondale, uh, you know, gets the nomination probably easier because of the winner take all nature of their of their primary system. But even that could backfire against them having one of those unintended consequences. But assuming it is Trump Biden, how do you see the structure of the race right now? And your, I mean, obviously it's going to be tight. Where do you see the places that you think you know, are going to decide the thing in the end? I think the ones you you rattled off. I, I think the uh, you know the, the industrial. Midwestern states, right? Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, I think Arizona, Nevada, um, Georgia, again, all those will be competitive, you know, and then uh, North Carolina, New Hampshire, maybe uh, on the outer ring. I mean, typically the states that we've seen the last cycle, I mean, you know, you and I have done this so long. In fact, in the course of this reporting this, someone reminded me, I love this, just to, just to talk about how much the, the, the political map has changed. So in 1988, Michael Dukakis lost California and won West Virginia, right? Wrap your mind around that yeah. one. So, you know, huge. <laughs> I mean, just in, in the time, Yeah, in the time that we've done this huge, huge, huge change in, in terms of states that have come on the map, come off the map, become competitive, not become competitive. I think this cycle is going to look a lot like the last one. I mean, there may be a, a state here or there, but I think basically what we've seen in the last couple cycles, you know, even 2016, I think it's going to come down to, to come down to the same handful of states, maybe hand plus a couple fingers of states that were key in 2016 and, and 2020. I think it'll be key again in 2024. Cool. And, 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 and you were talking about polls. I just want to say real quickly, look, I did a column, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I love and respect with, uh, the New York Times as, 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 as a longtime reader. But, you know, they put out those polls with, with Siena, and it was like, I, like I said in my lead, it was as if Moses had come down with tablets and decreed, you know, this shall be the 2024 race. They were polls. Polls a year out are not predictive. I mean, everyone kind of, you know, freaked out and, and, and kind of acted like this, like, like I said, like it was holy writ, like this is the way. 
you know, a poll a year out, I wrote, you know, a poll a year out, I was like predicting the weather a year out, right? You can venture to yeah. say, okay, it's probably going to be, it's probably going to be colder in November than it was in July and August. And maybe it'll rain or snow depending on the location. But, you know, you're not going to tell me, is it going to be 70 that day? Is it going to be 69? Is it going to be 40 degrees? Is it going to be 41? And that's, that's what's going to decide the presidential race. So the idea that a presidential poll a year out is going to be, tell us what's going to happen, is every bit as reliable and predictive as a weather forecast one year out. Yeah, the, uh, I keep saying in because uh, I went back and looked at it, but at this point in '83, uh, uh, actually a few months ago, like September of '83, thirty-seven percent of the American people uh, said they wanted Ronald Reagan to run for re-election. Um, yeah, it was you yeah, know it's because he, we're coming out of that the the same lot of you know inflation was going out of control. He you know took it over from Carter. And it took two and a half years for them to get that, for, for it to start to turn. And yeah, 14 months later, it was morning in America. And, uh, you know, and, and he goes, uh, goes on to be one of the more popular presidents in, 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 a, in, you know, in my lifetime in terms of, you know, uh, on the Republican side, for sure. But, you know, I think we're out of time, Mark. You got any, where can people find, I mean, LA Times, but where can people, are you on Twitter? I mean, or, where, or, or X or whatever we're calling it these days. Or uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm on Twitter at Mark Zverevac. I'm on Threads. I'm on Blue Sky. Um, if anyone, anyone, you know, uh, email me. I, I have an email that I send out to folks. Uh, I don't spam anybody, but if anyone's interested, they want to get my columns, send me an email, mark.verevac at latimes.com. I'll add you to the list. And, uh, you know, when I publish stuff, uh, again, no advertisements, no spams, no solicitation, just a link to my stuff when it comes out. If anyone wants to, I would love to add you to the list. No, it's great stuff, folks, and uh, really must reading. I mean, it, particularly if you want to stay on top of what's moving in these states, the and the, this this series is a must read. We'll include it in our show notes, uh, and I hope you'll give it a read and and uh, join his email list. So, and we'll put that email uh, in our show notes as well. So, thanks, Mark, for coming on, and thanks everyone for listening to that trippy show. Uh, as I said, we'll link to Mark's series on the New West at Los Angeles Times. Mark, uh, is, uh, again, we'll put all this in the show notes. This podcast will always be free with support from our advertisers and as part of Resolute Square. Check out the latest at ResoluteSquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to that trippy show. We'll leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. Uh, and you can always send us a question to thattrippyshow at gmail.com or leave us a question in the review on iTunes. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Mark, for being with us. Thanks for having me. It was really a really fun conversation.